Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number six of the Tax Security Show. Our panel of experts discusses all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Cisco TAC security teams. Today, we've got a special episode. We're going to be discussing the CCIE exam. So um, we're going to be focusing on the security CCIE exam, but a lot of the things we're, we'll talk about will be uh, prevalent to the other CCIE tracks as well. We're going to be talking about the test and uh, try to give you some tips for studying for the test and then eventually taking the exam. So with me in the studio today, we have our same regular panel of experts, starting with Blaine Dreyer. Blaine passed version two of the security CCIE exam a couple years ago. And Blaine, I understand you just uh, spent a week at the beach. Do you feel refreshed and ready to get back into the grind? I, I missed work a little bit, I have to say, the technical part of it, but it wasn't fun coming back to thousands of emails. Thousands <laughs> of emails? Yeah, that's, that's no fun. But are you caught up? Um, absolutely not. Okay. Next up, we've got Magnus Mortensen, who is currently pursuing the CCIE, uh, but that's on hold right now because he gets married on Saturday. So, Magnus, um, how is the how are the marry uh, the marriage plans going, and are you totally ready to get married right now? Uh, I'm ready, as far as I can tell. Amber's ready, so I guess that that's good. Um, but it's you know just a lot of little things start to creep up. It's oh, do we have all the programs folded? Do we have all of this done? The uh, party favors, all that kind of stuff, and um, you basically make a list and it just keeps getting longer and longer, but it's like a lot of little things. You know, nothing big. We got, every, we got all the big stuff taken care of. It's just kind of the, the mad dash for the finish right now. Yeah, just try to keep calm and not freak out about the little stuff. I know that was, I know, that happens every time, so. Well, I mean, when, when you got married, you did the uh, destination wedding yep. thing, so I think like with you, a lot of that little stuff was out well, of your hands, Well, it was out of right? our hands, so I definitely uh, recommend that to people if they want a simpler wedding in some ways to get away and do it. It definitely worked out for me. All right, well, we'll find out how that... Next episode, we'll find out uh, how the marriage went. Next up, we've got David White Jr. Went? Hopefully still going. How is... (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out what happened. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we've got David White Jr. He passed his security CCIE probably about 1,000 years ago, uh, version 1. And David, you were in the Bahamas for a wedding last weekend. How were the Bahamas? The Bahamas were great. It was actually a destination wedding. So my sister got married um, in Nassau. And uh, we stayed at the Atlantis Resort, which was very nice. And shockingly, you know, most destination weddings are pretty small, but she had about 70 guests there. So it was uh, pretty, big. pretty impressive. But the uh, reception was uh, right on the water, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. So. All right. Well, let's get started. So um, let's first uh, talk about, well, let's first talk about what the CCIE is. So the CCIE stands for the Cisco Certified Internetworking Expert, and it's uh, one of the top certifications that Cisco offers. And I think it's rated the number one certification by, um, I don't know, I've seen publications before where they rank, you know, industry certifications. And I think Cisco CCIE is at the top, the most desired one by employers. So um, let's talk about who should think about taking the CCIE. Who would um, benefit from obtaining the CCIE? Well, I mean, I think the CCIE is something that, you know, a lot of people would be interested in taking just because it provides both a, a challenge, if you're interested in the challenge, it also gives you a good plan to learn a lot about security technology. I mean, I'll tell you, it's a challenge. I'm on 
now strike number three coming up. So, um, you know, there you do end up having to learn a lot, and it kind of forces you to take a very broad look at everything. Yeah, I think that, like, there's a lot of certifications out there that people go for that you can pass and not necessarily have a full understanding of the technologies. I don't know. And that that's sort of ticks me off. I mean, I, the worst thing is that a certification could be worthless because, you know, you can just sort of learn the test or whatever. But I think mm -hmm. the CCIE is really cool because you really have to know the, the products, you have to know the technologies, and yet you, know, you need to know how to troubleshoot the, the product as well. So I think that's one reason. Yeah, well, one benefit that I found, especially when going through just learning different types of technologies, whether um, in areas, whether it be networking or programming or whatever, you know, doing our job, is that we, we tend to do very specific things. And when you go through a test like that, it forces you to get kind of out of your comfort zone and, and learn something different. And just the fact that you know that it's out there means that the next time some problem comes up where you can use one of those pieces as a solution, you're going to know that it exists and at least, you know, where to go find it. Yeah, I think getting to the original question is who should take it, though. I mean, it's not something that's, you know, designed for the management types or the people aspiring to be managers. It's for those that are, you know, technical with pretty much hands-on equipment because it's not something that you're going to be able to successfully pass unless you do have experience, right? Like like you mentioned, Jay, it's not a – you can't study for it out of just get book knowledge and go in and pass it. I mean, yeah. I don't think that's, that's you know, possible at all. Um, you really need practical hands-on experience. So – for those people looking to stay technical, probably all the listeners of our podcast, um, and, and w willing to increase their knowledge, you know, it's definitely a good goal for them. So yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge task for anyone that's you know, more interested in management than, than technical uh, nature work. But that said, we do have several managers who are CCIEs, and, and it helps tremendously when we're trying to speak that language. You know? So I think it's definitely beneficial for everyone. Um, it's not an easy task to accomplish, though, so you do have to be engaged. So, I mean... There's other certifications Cisco offers, other technical certifications. I know I got my CCNA first, and then I eventually got my CCNP, and then I got my CCIE. So what do you guys think about, I mean, there's different schools of thought. Some people say just go right for the CCIE because you don't have to have any prerequisite certifications for that. You can just go ahead and pass it. So for somebody wanting to become more technical and obtain some certs, would you recommend that they start with the CCNA and then go on and build up with the CCNP or and then... Or well, just go straight to the CCIE. I mean, for me, I started with the CCNA a long time ago when I started co-opting at Cisco. And then I started on the CCNP track, but I, I kind of just felt like, I don't know, I'm getting this knowledge, but I could get that plus more if I just went for a CCIE. And then I started working on the security team, so I decided to go that track rather than doing RNS. And, um, and that worked out for me quite well. I mean, I didn't do, you know, the CCSP, et cetera. I just went straight for the CCIE. And I think it's all cumulative. It's all, it all builds on top of each other. So, you know, why not start studying for the CCIE? And then if you feel that you need to take the CCSP later, you've already studied that material. I think it really depends on the person and their job roles, right? So if it's somebody that's, you know, extremely technical and does troubleshooting day in, day out and knows that they're going to get, you know, their ultimate goal is a CCIE, um, then they can skip right over it, right? If there's someone that's kind of new to the industry or troubleshooting and working on equipment isn't 100% of their job, but, you know, maybe 30% or 50% and they're doing other things, I think going through the different certifications and building on those layers really helps give you a solid foundation, right? I think yeah. the people that can skip it are ones that have already have that solid foundation because if you come in not knowing a whole lot and try to go straight for the CCIE, I mean, it's... The problem is going to be is that just the ramp-up period is going to be so large, you're just going to fail it so many times, it's going to be really expensive, I think. Yeah, and it's also a question of time, I guess. I yeah. mean, 
if you had all the time in the world, why not go for every certification? Sure. Right. And plus, you know, you're passing and gaining certifications as you progress technically, as opposed to CCIE, which I think for a lot of people is such a big wall to climb over that you can get discouraged even and, and give up completely. And then you know, the other thing that led me, I mean, that attracted me to the CCIE is the fact that there's a practical portion. You know, I got, I, I was taking um, written tests and I kind of got tired of that. It was, you know, book learning and memorizing, taking the tests and accomplishing that. But it didn't give me as much satisfaction as getting in there and playing with real world equipment. So I had a lot of fun with that. And I think, you know, whether or not to take NA, NP and work your way out. I mean, it, again, on the experience front, um, that also comes in kind of with the different kinds of training that are out there. A lot of the CCNA training, depending on how comfortable you are, is more geared towards ramping up from, in some cases, almost like a bare minimum. From a networking, like yeah, from just networking, networking knowledge, networking. how much you're used to it. But the CCIE stuff, a lot of that's you know stepping in pretty deep right off the bat with the training. They expect you know that you at least know enough about how the networking concepts work and all that kind of stuff. So you know you'd want to start at least with the NA, just you know for for a training perspective. You know maybe more catered documentation for you. Okay. Well, so let's assume our readers are going and they want to pass the CCIE exam and get their certification. So let's talk a little bit about how the exam works and the strategy for it. So the exam's broken up into two um, parts. The, the written exam, which is a 100-question test that you have to pass before you can uh, sign up for the lab exam. So what sort of, what sort of strategies and roadmaps can customers, you know, can our, our listeners um, plan to ensure their success or at least help them out? Well, I know the number one issue I see with people that are taking, that are planning on passing the CCIE, right? The number one problem they face is they go into it and they study for the written at the same time they study for the lab. So, meaning they start studying, they look at the list of topics or the, there's a blueprint online that they can look at for the written exam as well as for the lab, and they'll look at those topics and they'll start reading about them and they'll be configuring them on the devices at the same time to learn. Is that because they're learn. eager to jump ahead? or I think it's because the technical people like us, like Blaine says, you know, we really want hands-on, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But that really does them a disservice because they are two separate tests, right? There's a written test and there's a lab test, right? And I, I strongly encourage you not to touch the equipment that you're studying for the written. Just get the written done, study for it, and pass it before you even get your hands on and, and studying that same type of stuff on, on the equipment because it kind of gets your mind sidetracked and gets you going in the wrong direction and it just takes a lot longer. Okay, so step one, pass, study and pass the written exam. So where would I, so say I'm just, I'm just starting off, where do I go to start? What do I do to start studying for the written exam? Well, there's a, I mean, there's a blueprint online which gives you um, individual sections of different things that you're going to need to study, you know, such as algorithms, protocols, etc. So that's a great place to start. And the other place that I went quite a bit is uh, the Cisco Press Library. So there's, there's tons of um, study guides and, and huge books and, you know, just about everything that you need on the different sections of the exam you can find out there in some Cisco Press book. There was originally, um, and I don't know if there is right now, but a huge book that contained all the information for you know, each individual test. Um, I think that's since been kind of brought out into, into individual sections, um, such as you know, if you're studying for the security CCIE, you might have a book on VPN, you might have a book on firewalls, et cetera. And so you bring each of those little pieces together, and that builds you know, the, your total study But package. those books aren't made for the test. They're not made for the test, okay. but they contain general information, and the test is, is real. You know, it's not, it's not um, 
made up and it's not um, stuff that you would just see in simulators. I mean, this is real stuff, so it's completely applicable. Right, and there's, there, so there's both of those, right? There's books to, for general knowledge, and they do have some books just to help you prepare for the test, to give you an idea of what the exam is like. Yeah, and I found a lot of uh, cool information. If you look through the blueprint for the written, you're going to see tons of algorithms and, and security protocols. And I found a lot of good information in, in third-party books and just external stuff. You know, you know how does AES work? Um, uh, how does IPsec work? You aren't going to find in-depth knowledge in a practical book. You know, practical book says step one, two, three. That's not really what you're interested in for the written. You want to know where this stuff came from. You know, and how it works on the inside. Right, and there's a pretty good, um, I think it's called a quick sheet on, um, on Cisco Press, which is a PDF-only book that, that, works, that focuses on the CCIE um, security written, and that's a, that's a really good study aid. Okay, and for our reader, our listeners, you can, you'll find um, the CCIE blueprint uh, for the different tracks on the CCIE website on Cisco.com. So if you just navigate there from Cisco.com or do a search on uh, Cisco.com, you should be able to find it pretty easily. And you can also check the show notes. Yep, or you can check these show notes online. So um, assuming that you've passed the written, because they, they are two totally, different, um, two totally different sections, what's next? You've got, I mean, the, the, the practical lab portion really is the daunting task that people spend the time on. So what, how long can we expect to take before, you know, of intense studying before you actually you know, pass the exam? How much of your life should you block off for studying and, and for taking the exam? Well, when, I mean, if I was to describe it, when I speak in, in terms of, you know, length of time, I would say that this is with the understanding that you're doing it, this is a full-time job, right? So if you're going to spend six months studying, you should probably spend 40 hours a week studying within that six-month period. Um, it's different for everyone. Sometimes it takes several years to accomplish this, and sometimes, you know, you knock it out in a few months. But for me, personally, I... I took the time to sit down with this at, at least eight hours a day um, within a work week. So in other words, I might have done you know, three hours on Monday, but then I do 12 on Saturday or something like that. So I think it's certainly different for everyone, and it's different depending on how quickly you pick this stuff up. But if you're going to put a number on it, you know, maybe say I'm going to give six months uh, studying for the practical and maybe two or three months studying for the written. But again, that's solid study time. I think, yeah, I think it took me a little longer than that. Um, but I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't putting in the hours like you were. I, I remember I would be leaving work and you would be going into like a cubicle somewhere and hiding away and putting on your earphones and just like, you know, getting into study mode. And you'd be there till like, what, midnight or one in the office yeah, just studying? Yeah, usually, usually midnight. Um, so my thing is, is it, when I break away from studying and I go do something different, it's almost as if I'm throwing away that day of studying. Mm. I, I have to stay, you know, in, in something in order to fully understand it. And I wanted to try and compact my time as, as much as possible and keep things in my mind. And in order to do that, I can't, you know, study for a little bit and then go do something different and then come back to studying. So, yeah, I mean, I, I set, out, set apart blocks of time so I'd get off work and, and just study all through the night, go to sleep, come back to work the next morning, study, and then actually go to work and then get out of work and study some more. So that was, that was kind of my methodology. So, and, and hearing you talk about this brings up a couple, couple of thoughts in my head. First is, is I think there's a misconception among a lot of people outside Cisco that it's really easy for Cisco people to take and pass CCIEs, right? And so just by listening to Blaine talk here, you know, one can see it's not necessarily easy. It, it requires a lot of time and effort. Um, the other thing is, is I do think it, it, um, 
you know, it does vary by person. So some people, you know, they can study, you know, just on the weekends or a couple hours a night, and, you know, they can pass the exam within six months or, you know, maybe a year. But it, it seems like a lot of the people that I've talked to, you know, a year I think is a good time frame to, from the, from the point that they decide, hey, I want to take and pass this and I'm actively going to work on it until, you know, they pass it, I, I think is a good, you know, average amount of time. Yeah, it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, like I was studying for several months, I was studying one or two hours or three hours per night. And then we'll talk about this later, but then the weeks before the exam, things change completely. I mean, yeah. your routine is going to be totally different. But um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, so um, we need to work out a you, you need to work out a study schedule. You need to decide that okay, at, on these at this time of day, I'm going to study for one hour, two hours, three hours. And so, what do you what are you going to be studying? I mean, are, are you just take all the roadmap features and you know you know it says ASA. Do you just study ASA? If, if it says uh, VPN, do you just try different VPNs? I mean, how how do you decide what to study given the blueprint? Well, I think on the blueprint, you can logically take different parts of the sections and, and place them together. So obviously, you know, your encryption algorithms are going to be related to something in IPsec, or NAT and, you know, ACLs is going to be related to something with a firewall or with an iOS device. So if you start stacking those together, logically, you'll understand how you would put together a network with those different pieces of, of technology. So I, I think that's, you know, probably the best way to do it. And and I think, you know, we'll talk about this in a bit, but stacking those features on each other when you're studying for your lab exam is a really good uh, process, too. That way you can find out when things break or what two things don't work together, yeah. you know, et cetera. So, and you'll also experience um, failures in your, in your uh, configuration. So you can learn how to detect those when you're inside the lab and how to fix them so that you don't waste time. And my recommendation for people is... Um, you know, the, the blueprint is, is definitely what you want to start with because it gives you by a per-product basis the technologies and the features that you're going to be tested on, right? So pick a given product, start studying with that product, and go through each feature until you understand how it works, why it works the way it works, and how to configure it, and do each feature independently. And then as Blaine was saying, once you have a good idea and know the features, then start adding the features together so that you understand how they work. And so you can add VPNs on top of your NATs and ACLs and other things that are on, say, the ASA. And then once you have all that down, then move on to the next product like IPS, right, and, and do the same thing. And then once you've completed um, all the products, then you start stacking them together um, and, and, you know, building out a lab topology. So that's the progression that I usually tell people to go in. Yeah, and, like, I mean, you know, the other thing is you know what you don't know. You know, so like you're going to look at that big blueprint and you're going to half the stuff you might not even know at all. So, I mean, you're going to need to not only know what it is and what it does, but also how to troubleshoot it and everything. And just try to think of, pretend you're making the test, right? Think of any way you can to configure that or break it or, you know, cause some problem where you're going to have to work around it using that feature. I mean, you know, you really can't skip any corners at all. You have to go for all the points. And if you, you this isn't the kind of test where you can be like, oh, I'm not going to know, you know, I'm looking at the blueprint now. Okay, configuring PAM or configuring CBAC. You can't just say, oh, I'll just lose those points if they ask me about it. I mean, you have to go in at 100%, you know. Yeah, and the reason for that is, I mean, so so many things in the test build on other things in the test, right? So you, you can't just skip one section and, and say I'm okay. Um, my my overall suggestion to, to how to 
you know, go about obtaining knowledge when you're studying for the test is to look at it as, you know, you're interested in the stuff. So you want to learn more about the protocols and you want to expand, you know, your, your knowledge in this area. Not that you want to learn how to do one particular task yeah. and do it over and over and over again. If you don't take the attitude you're talking about, you, I don't think you'll do very well. Yeah. Yeah, another key thing is to take good notes as you study. So, you know, as you, as you study and you learn something, you find something interesting, or, you know, you have um, a config that you build and you, that shows you how you do some certain topic, you know, save that config in a text file and, you know, annotate it and say, here's what it does. So you can go back and, and practice it again, you know, like the, the week after that, you know, say, okay, in my mind, I'm, I want to rebuild that. Now go from memory and try to rebuild that config and then look at what you had the week earlier. Yeah, so one thing, in addition to configs, another thing that's going to help you is mapping out the steps that are required to accomplish a task. So when I was building VPNs or configuring NAT or whatever, I would say, you know, step one, I've got to do this. Step two, this is the next piece that builds on top of step one, et cetera, until you actually complete the task. And that's going to help a lot because you don't say, you know, I want to configure this device. You say, I want to do this task on this device, and it has six steps, and these are the steps that I need to take. And that's just going to help you sort out in your mind uh, how to accomplish things faster and also keep things, you know, in their own objects, right? So, so one task helps out another task by completing some underlying functionality. And, and that's going to help you a lot when you're thinking about, okay, I'm reading through, you know, my lab manual and I've got to do these six tasks. What do I need to do in task one to ensure that I'm ready for task six? Mm, okay, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and one thing, Dave was talking about taking notes. One thing I did was I bought a nice binder. You know, I, I would, each technology, I would take personal notes, you know, with a pen and paper or keep them on a computer, and then I would print them out and put them in the binder and just carry it around with me. So if I had an extra 30 minutes somewhere waiting in the car or whatever, I would just whip out the, the binder and... Um, just keep studying all the time. And that way you're really organized and you can add up on your knowledge, you know, and add to the page and, and keep it going. Yeah, and then it also helps you because, you know, once you've gone through all the topics, you can know which areas you're weak on, you know, and mark those and then go back and continuously work to improve those areas so you feel like you're at the same knowledge level and everything. Yeah, I definitely, I did kind of what Jay was saying where I wrote everything down, you know, but actually made a wiki and so I could easily sort through and rearrange information. And then at the end, when I felt like I was pretty solid, I printed out the wiki and mm. I put that into a binder and just like you said, I would flip through it. And, and anywhere I found an error or anywhere I found a misunderstanding on my part, I would pull that page out, fix it up, and then reprint it and put it back in the binder. So I slowly you know, started accumulating uh, basically a manual of how to accomplish the tasks. Okay, well, we've, we've been talking about studying. I mean, a big part of that is hands-on, on real live equipment, because that's what you're going to be having to do in the test. So really, to study for this exam effectively, anybody who wants to take it and pass it is going to need to get their hands on real live equipment before the day of the test for some amount of time where they can study. So, so let's, let's quickly um, let's review the equipment that's on the current CCIE security, which is um, they've got 1,800 series routers, 3,800 series routers. Both of those are running 1204T, uh, 3560 switch, uh, ASA 5500 running 8X, ACS version 4.1, and an IPS sensor running 6.1. So that's the that's the list. And that's different from I I I took um, I took CCIE version one, and I know Dave did as well. And that that one had the VPN concentrator and um, some of the PIX firewalls and an older version of the IPS. And so with each new and those aren't on the current test. So with each revision, 
and we're keeping up to date with the, uh, the most commonly deployed security products that Cisco makes. So what, what, do, what does uh, someone do if they, want, if they need to get their hands on this equipment to practice? Well, I, I think we, you know, here in the TAC, we kind of have a bit of a blessing. You know, we do have a whole robust uh, set of equipment down in our labs that we can use for study purposes, and I know that helped me a lot. Obviously, not enough. Well, yet, but, but again, you know, we we have to fight for that equipment too, and we don't have all the time we would like. True. And in some cases, they're incomplete. So, let's say somebody has a PIX firewall or, or, or an ASA firewall, or um, they've just got an ASA and an ACS server to use. I mean. The lab uh, has a, a big topology with all these different devices in it, but if you just have access to one or two of these pieces of equipment at any one time, you can still study effectively. Yeah, so there, I mean, looking at external resources, right, there are um, companies that know that you're studying for the lab and they want to assist you in some way for monetary gain, right? So there are, there are companies out there that will rent you an entire lab setup and you can access all of this virtually. You know, it's, it's I would assume, very nicely laid out with diagrams yeah. and you can access all this stuff and it's all connected together. So all over the internet. It's, it's, just yeah, over it's the, all over the internet, yeah. yeah. And in addition to that, if you want to go a little bit less expensive route, um, there are pieces of software that will, you know, simulate situations where, where you can connect devices. So it really depends what kind of budget you have and what physical resources you have available to you. But there's always, you know, study uh, devices available out there to anyone. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning about the virtual uh, access to the devices, meaning they're not physically, you know, you're not at the same location they are. That's how the test is taken. So you're not going to be sitting in front of... Um, the rack of equipment right. when you're taking the test. It's, it's all going to be you know, somewhere else. You're just going to be at a, at a PC with a console and, and console connectivity to each of those devices. So yeah, and, I, and I, I mean, honestly, I think that's probably how most people access devices anyway, right? They don't, most people don't go down to the lab and console into every device they need to touch. They, they're always doing it virtually anyway. So I would say, you know, in my mind, at first, it might feel a little bit awkward to access a, a remote lab that might be around the world. But in all honesty, that's, that's usually how it feels, and that's how it's going to feel in the lab. So I guess it's pretty synonymous in that respect. Right. So I think um, you know, a lot of people can use accommodation. So a lot of companies are, are some extra equipment that they're lying around. And they don't have to use the exact boxes. You know? I mean, for the routers, you know, anything that runs 12.4T, I mean, because it's really we're testing you on the, the, the features, the, the features yeah. within the feature set, right? We're not testing you on a specific hardware component of the device, right? So. You know, for testing, for the studying purposes, you know, any box you can get that runs that version of code is um, is really all you need. And again, if you if you break down the studying as to, you know, say like you study IPSs first, and then you study ASAs, and you study the stuff on the routers, right? Um, you know, whatever equipment you have, I would suggest studying on that first. And then the other gear, you know, you might have to rent gear, or you know, you can always you know optionally buy the stuff. Um, some people sell you know, buy equipment just for studying for the lab and then resell it again um, that you could you can purchase just for the studying purposes. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of labs on eBay. So you can go, um, I, I think the prices range anywhere from about 15 to 20 grand, something like that for all the equipment in a lab. Yeah, just a whole bundle. Right, And yeah. but the, the only downside to that is oftentimes you aren't going to find the most up-to-date equipment, right? So you may not find uh, 3,800s and 1,800s on eBay. Um, when I was studying, and this was granted two years ago, most people... Uh, when I was studying for test number two, you know, um, revision two, people had the labs from test one, 
So they had like 2,500 routers that they were putting up there and, and pixels and stuff like that. That's not helpful. It, it's, I mean. it's, it, well, like Dave said, you break it down by feature, right? So you're studying and learning a particular feature. If the router you have runs that feature or the firewall or whatever, then you're good to go for that feature. Right, so it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't study if you don't have a router that runs 124T. You're just going to be missing out on a lot of the, the independent features that are on the exam. And the other thing we'll just add is that ACS, um, you can get an eval version of that. So you don't need to purchase that. You can just download the evaluation version during your studies. Okay, so you've got access to some equipment um, and you've practiced. You've, uh, you know everything on the blueprint pretty well. You've got your lab notebook. Um, you feel pretty confident. You've been studying for you know several months, a year, whatever, and it's it's a week or two before the exam. So you've scheduled your exam uh, previously, you know, some number of months out, and you're approaching that lab date by a couple of weeks. So how is your studying going to need to change those those couple weeks before the exam? I think for me, it was a lot more of a, by this time, you know, you should pretty much already know how everything works. You should have all your foundations in place, and it's just building large lab ideas and running through the whole idea as though you're actually sitting there in your eight-hour lab going through the whole thing from top to bottom. Uh, I know I used some uh, you know, study and training materials that gave me some practice labs that I could work with and uh, leading up to the, well, both attempts, the week or so beforehand, I would just maroon myself in front of the rack of equipment uh, isolate myself from everybody with just fans blowing in every direction and just rail out one lab a day, just keep going over and over and over and over again. Didn't do anything but that. No lunch, no food, nothing. Just start and stop. Well, you're thing. weird. You don't eat lunch anyway. <laughs> yeah, but but like... I, think, I think a good point that, he, that Magnus does bring up, though, is as you know, the, the week before, you really should get to the point where you're doing, sitting there for yeah. a good six or eight hours you know, with a lunch break, of course, unlike Magnus, but, but that you run through every single technology. So you, you, you know, whether you buy a book and it has sample labs in it um, or you're doing it on your own and trying to come up with it, but run through all the technologies in the lab once and make sure you know it down cold. Like Blaine was saying, you know, there could be six steps to configuring the VPN. Make sure that when you, when you start taking the, you know, your practice lab that you know what those six steps are cold and you know the 12 lines of config required to, to generate and those six steps. Quickly, yeah. And you can do it quickly. By this time, you're not learning anything new. Right. You should not be learning anything in the last week at all. I mean, if, if so, you're not really prepared, right? Yeah. Uh, you should be, you know, all these features, you should know how to configure them cold so that when you go into the test, when you read something, you should be able to just knock it out, and that way you have time to troubleshoot if things don't go the yeah. way that you were thinking. So Magnus talked about um, using study materials, you know, and there are several companies out there that provide you with practice labs and, you know, bring all seven of these devices together and put them together like this and then run through these configuration steps. Um, I really benefited from those, from that information, but I took a slightly different approach. I said, you know, I'm going to build this lab and it's got, I know it has enough routers in it and it has enough firewalls, you know, to do anything that I could possibly want to do. And then I'd run through a lab and just configure everything they told me to on whatever devices I had. And then I'd go to lab number two and configure that on the exact same devices containing the exact same config. And what I was trying to do there is essentially force myself to, to make things work um, in environments that weren't pre-thought of. You know, they weren't laid out for me to, to actually configure. So that made a lot of things break. And so when things break, you can start writing down error messages that you receive, and then you can start writing notes about how you fix those things. And, you know, it can be weird stuff. It can be sending some strange traffic that you would never send over a VPN over the tunnel, you know. And so that'll help you in the lab to not only understand 
the core functionality and why things break, but also fix issues if you run into them. Yeah, I think one of the things I know that helped me a lot during the lab um, was you know, kind of exactly what you're talking about, how to fix things or how to detect when things are breaking. I know, you know, our firewalls have capture functionality. Use it. It is one of the greatest things since sliced bread. Use it. It, you know, I know it saved my butt on a lot of questions. You know, not, not enough, but it did help. And, you know, that's one of the things that I found very useful. And another thing is, you know, during the lab, you do have access to documentation. Um, you know, our Cisco online documentation. So if you're running through, like I said, when you're, when you're doing all your studying and getting everything ready, you should know, you know, kind of as a last-ditch effort where that information is online. You know, oh, I've got to configure these six steps. Well, where is this online? How do I get to it? You know, if you also know where it is in our repository, yeah. you kind of have that kind of a bit of a safety net. In my technology notes or whatever I was making for myself, I had, you know, the feature, how I would configure it, and then at the bottom I would say, okay, on, on Cisco.com or whatever for the, in the docs, uh, click here, then click this thing, then click this thing, and then I'd be there at the documentation about that feature. So that really helped me if I got stuck or forgot something in a lab. Yeah, I would definitely put a link to where the configuration items were. For, for our security products, the documentation is very well laid out and, and very well put together. So yeah. if you need to configure a task, you can find that task in that document's user guide or configuration guide, whatever it may be. iOS is slightly different. iOS is huge and you can't contain it all in one doc, right? So you're going to find uh, iOS VPN configuration, firewall configuration, IPS configuration in different documents but we have a search bar on cisco.com, right? And, and it'll allow you to find essentially everything that you need. Okay. We got a little bit off topic, um, but I'm gonna bring us back. So the, the time leading up to the exam, one more thing, a lot, of, uh, a lot of people fly in to take the test at the testing locations, because they are done on Cisco campuses. So if you're doing that, you wanna make sure that you fly in with a day to spare, a, a day of rest before the exam, meaning that you're not flying uh, the day before you arrive, that you take the test, so that you have a day there to relax, get you know acquainted with your surroundings, and also practice again that last day. Yeah, I think one of the most important things when going into the test is to feel comfortable, not only with the material, but you know with your surroundings and, and just the fact that you're about to spend eight hours sitting in a chair, you know, configuring material. So um, th there are several components that go into that. One is, you know, knowing knowing the stuff that you're about to configure, right? Doing it so many times that you understand what you're about to go in there and do. And the next thing is actually getting to the location and, and feeling the place out and, and being familiar and comfortable with your surroundings so that when you go in there, you're not you know, just freaking out and trying to remember everything that you studied. Yep. Okay, so let's move on. So it's the day of the test. Uh, you're going to take the test that day. I think um, it starts early. It starts like 7 o'clock, or yeah. it, I guess it may depend on I think on the they location. want you to get there around that time, if not a little yeah, bit Yeah, so earlier. get there a little bit early. Um, I know I've heard horror stories of people, you know, getting stuck in traffic or whatever and not getting all the time they were allotted to. So make sure you get there early. Um, and so during, during the test, they, you know, you're sat down at a station and you, you open up your binder and it has the list of things you have to configure and what you need to do. What 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 are good tips for people you know during that phase of the test where they're starting off and they're just about to you know get started? Well, some people say that you should read every single piece of the test before you start on anything. Um, some people say that you should redraw any diagrams that that they provide you. Um, I'm kind of of the mindset that you should probably read the section headers so that you know where the lab is going, but you probably shouldn't read every single sentence you know in the lab. I, for me personally, that's just a waste of my time. Um, I, I like to know what they're going to be asking me to do, but I don't you know, need to read every single little piece. 
I personally didn't redraw the diagram um, on my second attempt. I did on my first attempt. And while it helped me you know, understand connections in my own handwriting, I didn't really find it that beneficial on my first attempt. But what, what is key, though, is that you do understand the logical topology of how the equipment's laid out and connected because the test is going to ask you to configure stuff, and if you don't have a clue you know, how the topology is laid out and you, know, you don't understand why they're asking you to do it that way, then it's much more challenging. So you know, do, it is worth spending you know, five minutes or so to look at you know, the topology diagrams and make sure you really understand how it's connected. If you can't visually do that without redrawing it, then I think that is beneficial. I redrew it. it. I, I, every single time I took the test, I passed on my fourth attempt, and every time I re had to, you know, first thing I did was redraw everything, and that forced me to actually kind of think and build a mental construct of the topology and how it was all set up. So that's a good idea. So um, Blaine was mentioning that, you know, some people read the entire test. I, I'm also the mindset of Blaine. You know, I don't think that's a useful, um, you know, useful for your time. Um, and, and time is really the most critical factor, I think, um, time management and going and taking the test. I mean, if you know the, if you know, um, the, to the topics um, and the technologies, then time becomes your, your critical factor. So I think knowing that the sections that are coming up, um, so like briefly glancing through so you know what, what the sections are is useful, but I definitely don't subscribe to the theory that you should read the all, you know, all the questions. Um, so along with the time management is don't ever get stuck on any one question. Um, you know, spend, you know, if, if you think you know the answer and, or you, you're almost sure you know the answer but it's not working, you know, I would alloc wouldn't allocate more than five minutes to try to troubleshoot it before moving on. Right? I think that's hard, though, because it's if, very if, you, if you've hard. done it in the, in, at home, you know, you've, you've practiced it and you, you know it, but it's not working, I mean, it can, you, you want to get it working. Especially you know? for those with troubleshooting and engineering backgrounds. I mean, that's, you know, that's you. opposite to their core, but that's why I say time management is really the most critical factor almost in, in taking the lab, because, you know, you, you could spend a half an hour in getting that right, but you might miss the last three questions of the exam because you don't have time to get to them. So what do you right. do if you, it, so how do you keep track of what you aren't, haven't done? I mean, So you, you, they give you pieces of paper that you can have and, and a pencil when you're in there. So again, if you, if you know the thing and you, you think you know the answer, it's just not working, you know, I say allocate about five minutes. If you don't get it in five minutes, write it down that, you know, here's what isn't working and move on. And then when you've completed, you know, finished reading all the questions and answers, go back to the ones that you've marked that either you didn't know and you didn't complete or that you know but they weren't working properly for you and spend more time on them that way. Okay, and what, oh, well, I guess we'll talk about verification in a bit, but you're going to be working for two or three hours or so, and then you're going to have to take a break for lunch, and you have to take that break for lunch. I, you know, you have to leave your, you know, step away from your keyboard, go into a separate room, and you'll be there with some of the other people taking the test, um, and you'll have to, you know, spend some time uh, eating, and they'll have some food for you there. It's, it's provided. So the proctoral call time, Everybody will uh, stand up away, you know, step away from their workstations and go into a separate room uh, for lunch. So, what about that? I mean, that is a part of it's a part of the exam. It's a part of the day. I, I would say one thing is not to eat too much because I don't know. The first time I was nervous and I ate a whole lot of food and I was regretting it the afternoon because <laughs> I was getting really sleepy. Yeah, after you know, I I unfortunately did something very similar, but. Uh... I don't know, for me that kind of actually kind of helped me relax a little bit. You know, I was getting really tense towards the middle of my exam and uh, I used that time to just kind of refocus. Not necessarily think about the test, but just kind of relax a little bit because I was pretty tense on the first run. I know some people do things differently though. 
Yeah, I, I definitely did the complete opposite. I, um, you know, you said uh, don't eat so much that, you know, you become ill. Well, I was so ill that I, I didn't really feel like eating so much. So I'd go get a little plate and eat, you know, whatever I needed to so that I didn't get lightheaded towards the end so of the day. So you were stressed out. But that's why you didn't eat. I wouldn't say stressed, but, you know, like I said before, when I was studying, I was in the zone, right? And I stayed in the zone when, when I was taking the test. So if I break from that, it, it just really breaks my concentration. So I went and I got a, a reasonably sized, you know, non-American sized meal and I sat down and I <laughs> ate it. And, uh, and then I thought about, you know, what have I done so far? And what, what do I know that I skipped and that I'll need to go back to? And what, you know, pieces can fit together that, that I didn't get before? Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I really use that time to sit down and contemplate. You know, a, a lot of people sit there and relax. Um, a lot of people will chat because it kind of breaks them away from what they're doing. Um, it just doesn't work for me. I just kind of stayed in it and put my head down and ate my food and went back to my to my station um, after lunch. So. I think the key thing um, at lunch is you really need to take an assessment of how you've done so far. So getting back to what Blaine and I were recommending at the beginning is know you know the headlines of the different sections of the test and know when you're going into lunch how, how much progress you've made. You should be, you know, if, if lunch is halfway through the day, then you should be over halfway through the test, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't want to finish the test right on. You really want to have a little bit extra time to go back because there's very few people that are going to get 100% right the first time through it, right? So you're going to want to go back and look at the questions that you had. You know, you weren't 100% sure on the, or that weren't working right. So at, at lunchtime, you really need to evaluate how are you doing and also make the critical decision, is it possible to pass, right? Because a lot of people, they don't, most people don't pass on the first time, right? And if you're in that boat at lunchtime, you're probably going to know it. And so at that point, I really yeah, you're think... you're going to know. You're going to know. Yeah. I really think your focus should change for the second half if you're in the boat that I'm not going to pass. Then the second half is really looking at the question, making sure you have time to read all of them, and trying to understand what it is you know and what it is you don't know so that you know what to study for the second time. Yeah, so one of the most difficult things I, in my mind when I was going to approach the test the first time was I have this huge list of things on the blueprint, you know, in, in very, very wide categories that I have to study. They, you know, they say study NAT. Okay, you know, you, there's about a billion things that you have to study for that. So one of the most important things for me during my first attempt was understanding um, how they were asking me questions and what is the mindset of the person, you know, that gave me this test and how do they want me to accomplish it. So for me, you know, my first time I, I was iffy. Uh, at lunch. I was iffy mid-afternoon. I didn't know if I was going to pass or not, but um, I, I pretty much felt that it was more of a learning experience. So when I got to that point, I just started going through the test and trying to understand why they were approaching situations and why they were telling me to do tasks that they were. So you're really trying to go psychoanalytic? I was trying to get in their minds, yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's going to be you know, roughly similar the next time you take the test, right? Unless you wait too long. So I, I knew that if I had their mindset at that point that I could approach it next time um, in the same way. Okay. And uh, there's something that some people talk about. I've heard people that reboot all their equipment before lunch or they reboot stuff every once in a while and ensure that it comes up. Uh, and when it boots back up, everything's working like it was before. I don't recommend necessarily doing that. I think that's... Yeah, definitely not. I mean, just, I think the big thing is make sure you save your configurations. Yeah. You know, you don't, if you were to encounter some problem where um, you want, you, you don't know what change you just made and now it's not working, I mean, you could reboot it and it would go back to the previously saved state. But, you know, really, I mean, you don't need to go rebooting everything and ensuring that it comes up. 
Uh, I mean, one, definitely one, not part of the test. One of the things you do want to focus, though, towards the end is, you know, as, as we've been covering here, a lot of the stuff builds on top of one another. And unfortunately, while you're building on top, sometimes you will break things that were working earlier. Um, I know in uh, my two attempts thus far, you know, I allocate a little bit of time if I'm feeling pretty confident towards the end um, to just go through and just make a quick verification of the questions from beforehand. You know, just make sure, okay, well, I've got this working from A to B. Is that still working? And sometimes I find out, you know, oh, well, something I did later on in a test, I've broken that. Uh, so if you've got to leave time for that, obviously you can't be configuring yeah. up to the end. You want to, you want to, I, I personally feel as though you'd want to leave some time just to, you know, kind of just double check what you've done thus far. That's, I think that's a, another point um, there is that, you know, you should go through the test in order as it is because if you do go out of order, you know, because things build upon each other, you're going to run into mm -hmm. those types of problems, right? Whereas if you go in the order that the test is laid out and that's the order that the test was created, you know, you shouldn't run into those types of issues. And one more thing, if you're uh, looking at a question and you're not sure how to interpret it or you think there's some issue there that you need clarification on, you can always uh, go and ask the proctor. I mean, obviously they can't tell you the answer to the question, but they may be able to pr provide some clarification if you specifically state, you know, what it is you're confused about with that question. Yeah, and it, it helps a lot. In fact, it, it's the key to getting a good answer if you provide uh, two solutions to the problem. You know, you say, I'm confused about this. I know you can do it this way. I know you can do it that way. Which way, you know, should I be doing it? And they can give you some guidance. They're not going to say, oh, well, you should lay it out, you know, this way. But they'll give you some guidance as to what they're looking for because there are certainly multiple solutions to, you know, nearly every problem. Okay, so you've just finished the lab. Uh, let's say, you know, pencils down. You're done. Um, you walk out to your car. I mean, you've given it your best shot. What What is your plan after the exam? I mean, obviously you're thinking about maybe I passed, maybe I didn't pass, and you're going to get that score online. You know, um, in a couple days, or you know, maybe even later. But um, wh what do you do after the exam? After you've taken it? I know for me. Um you know, if there were things that I didn't feel very comfortable with, you know, I made sure I just jotted down, you know, well, I really didn't feel very comfortable with this. I just made a little list of things that I felt I would need to review. So, you know, when I did get that score back, I could think, okay, well, here's the stuff that was on there that I wasn't prepared for. Now I know what I need to study. Because afterwards think, you might you might kind of forget kind of your experience. Yeah, I think that's very important too is that, you know, if, if you're not 100% confident, even if you are, there, I think there's always going to be things that you're not going to know. And if you listen to our advice, you know, when you get to the end of the thing where they call time, you will have read every question. Whether or not you completed it all is a different story, but you will have gotten through the end, you know, to the very end because you won't have wasted any time, you know, on any question that you didn't know the answer to. So you'd be progressing forward and you would have known everything that's on the exam. And at that point, you know, definitely write down the topics um, that you really aren't 100% sure of and do it soon after the exam because. As, as Magnus said, I mean, you're, you're going to be drained after, and it's probably not going to be something you're going to want to do, but your mind kind of plays tricks on you as time goes by, and you kind of start to forget, yeah, you know, you certain wanna, things. I, that was, it was fast for me, too. I mean, I lost some of that knowledge after just a couple of days. Yeah. So really important to, you know, make a note of what you needed to work on. Yeah. Now, I guess we should say that you cannot share that information with anybody because you're under non-disclosure agreements, right? But for your own personal use, that is, that is perfectly fine to write it down. Yep. 
Yeah, so for me, when I was, you know, talking about making that list, when I come out of the test, I'm pretty much a zombie. Like I've been staring at a screen for hours and hours on end and trying to remember everything that I'm supposed to configure and how I'm supposed to do it. Uh, it's sometimes, even if you feel really good when you come out of the test, it can be very difficult to take the time to sit down and think, okay, what do I know that I failed on? What do I know that I didn't do well? And, and write the information. Don't just assume that you passed because, you know, like Magnus was saying, I mean, your, your state of mind changes and you're going to forget what you felt comfortable with and what you didn't know. And um, so I think it's very important to, to write down the stuff that you didn't feel comfortable with. Um, another point is that uh, you shouldn't feel, you know, if you fail, you shouldn't feel bad about that. And I know that's a hard thing to say because you spend a lot of time in preparation and you spend a lot of hours sitting in there and configuring. Um, I treated this as, a, as one big process. And rather than failure at each occurrence, I treated that more as another iteration of accumulating more knowledge about the test. You have to look at it that way or else, I mean, you'll go crazy. Because if you build it up, so like, I've got to pass, I've got to pass, I've got to pass on my first try, on my second try, on my third try, whatever, then when you don't, you, I mean, it's pretty crushing because you're spending a lot of time on that. So you got to really take that approach. Yeah, this goes back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, you should take the approach of this is a learning experience. You know, it's yep. not I need to pass this test so that I can move on. It, it's I'm accumulating knowledge so that I can do better at, you know, whatever it is that I do, whatever job function I have, right? And, so, and, and if I can um, say something, too, um, you know, when we create the exam, the goal of the exam isn't to make things difficult, right? The goal is really to hopefully, you know, educate the people that are taking and studying the exam about the given features and also in a best practice manner where, you know, you should be experienced a lot of these um, features. Uh, if it's in your technology area, you should know about them. And if you don't know about them and maybe that you've seen them for the first time in the lab, you know, hopefully it's something that after being exposed to, you say, hey, maybe I need to learn more about that. Maybe I should be using you that use in my in network, world, yeah. right? Because it's not, you know, we're, we're not doing abstract um, things. We really do try to write the exams in a way that, uh, that you know, would be useful to the people that are studying for it and that take it. Yeah, that's, um, you know, trying to think about it in a positive light. I, I tried not to think that the test makers were my enemy, you know. They're trying to, to build things to, to influence you, you know, to, to um, think about things in different ways and bring things together as you would in the real world. Right, and now before I do get a lot of hate mail about that, <laughs> there are certain some constraints that we have, you know, when creating an exam, there's specific equipments um, and even amounts of equipment that, that can get used. So in some cases, it's not exactly as you would see in the real world, but as close as we can get. I mean, that is one of, you know, that's definitely my primary goal um, in, in both creating exams and in kind of trying to steer the, uh, the committee that, that does create the exams. Yeah, and I feel like that's, you know, that whole reason that the test makers are not your enemy is, is another reason that the proctors are there to answer questions. You know, it's not about trickery, really, in the exam. It's about influencing you to, to think in a particular way. And if you don't understand the way that someone's trying to make you think, then you can ask questions of the proctors. Just make sure that you bring solutions to them and not just, you know, complaints about misunderstanding the question. Okay, well let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Um, I'm, let's go around the table and just talk about a particular you know, um, idea or concept that, that helped you or any particular tip you might want to give. I'll start on, you know, I, I passed on my fourth attempt and now I took, I failed twice. The first two times I took it was the security version one test and then the version changed, right? So when I took version two, I was, I wasn't starting from scratch, but I mean, it was a, it was different equipment. It was a different, 
it, it was a different blueprint, that kind of thing. So uh, one thing I would say is that if you can, once you get into you know, CCIE study mode and you start taking the test, you know, stick with it and try to take those tests at, you know, as soon as possible um, within reason, obviously, because you know that you don't want the test to change on you. That sent me right. back some, but that, you know, I eventually passed. That uh, that unfortunately happened to me. I've got two test attempts under my belt for version two, but now we're on version three. Right. So you know, it is kind of a you know derailing of the initial study plan. It's new hardware, new ideas. Um, so for me, that's you know my experience right now is you know not all that great I mean I've got the I've gone through the same transition you have so yeah. you know it's gonna be a, a little bit of a restart and when Jay went through the version 1 to version 2 change that a lot had happened in security and we, mm -hmm. we we accumulated a lot more products and so we could test on a lot more things so security broke off very heavily from the other CCIEs mm -hmm. so it was quite a radical change for you to go through version 1 to version 2 I think that's right but I thought the test got better you know I, I thought the test was good and you know, I thought that I felt good about, you know, if I knew those products well, that I would pass. And I did. I passed on my second attempt on the version 2 exam of the security CCIE. Yeah. And more recently, the changes that, you know, Magnus went through and the changes that we'll continue to go through are simply additional items that we'll be doing um, on top of what we've already studied, right? So it's not going to be a radical change anymore. It's just additional things that you have to learn. So I would say that, you know, I've heard uh, in the past that you want to hurry and rush your test before the version changes. Um, I don't necessarily believe that to be true because you're just learning additional information, um, but you may not have to learn some older information. So I would almost say it's beneficial to take the most current uh, test because that's the stuff that you're going to see in the real world anyway. Yep. All right, Magnus, how about you? Do you have a tip you can give? Um, for me, you know, I would say, kind of going back to harp on that, the uh, the documentation always want to have that kind of as your last ditch, you know, your safety net. Okay. I've, I I know I used it, uh, unfortunately, but <laughs> what about you, Dave? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I I took it so long ago. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I would agree that things have ch with Blaine that things have changed a lot, and that's been my primary driver and in being involved with. Um, the creation and, and helping steer the CCIE is when I took it with version one, for security it was mainly routing and switching still. And you know my big push is that we want to make it applicable um, to just security. We want to make it relevant to what customers see, and we want to push back best practices through it. You know we're not into the trickery. We're not into you know looking at you know very r random, suddenly used or um, you know, crazy configurations and trying to test people's ultimate knowledge. That's not the goal, right? And so it's really more of a practical-based test. And so I, I just say, you know, for everyone studying, good luck. Um, you know, keep it up. It is a great certification to have, but the real goal should be the knowledge that you gain as you go through the process. How about you, Blaine? Yeah, my biggest suggestion is to, well, if you take a look at this stuff at, at first glance, if you look at the, at the blueprint, you're just going to be completely overwhelmed. So the thing that you do with the CCIE is just like anything else, you break it down into parts. So Jay, you know, made files, text files of information. I threw together a wiki and I divided it by each individual thing on, on the uh, blueprint. And then after I'd, I'd written about each individual item, I started coalescing them into, you know, like groups. So all the firewall stuff goes over here, all the iOS stuff goes over here, etc. So my biggest suggestion is to break everything down and understand each individual part. All right. All right, well, thanks for listening. That about wraps up our show. We hope this gives uh, any prospective CCIE um, takers a, a good idea of
ways to go about starting to study for the exam, study for the exam, and then you know, take it and eventually pass. So don't forget to send your topic suggestions and comments to securityshow at cisco.com. You can always open a TAC case at www.cisco.com slash TAC or by calling 1-800-553-2447. Some of the links and topics we talked about today are going to be um, listed in the show notes section. You can access the show notes by going to www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast, and we'll have um, just a, a button you can press there to get to the show notes. And uh, remember to join us next episode where we're going to uh, discuss tips on monitoring your firewall's performance. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast.